Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. <laughs> this is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Just ten biggest film babes. <laughs> yeah, dude. Just BuzzFeed the fuck out. <laughs> it's what they wanted the whole time. True. The listeners, they've wanted us to go BuzzFeed mode, but I think saving it for the final episode would be good. True. I'm kind of upset Vice never interviewed us at like a shooting range or something fun like that. Yeah, exactly. But... Actually, now that I think about it, I think yeah, BuzzFeed might be ass- offended by our like uh, broy sensibilities by mm-hmm. uh, what we have planned for our final episode, ranking the ten greatest film babes. Of of all time <laughs> yeah it's more of a gavin mcginnis vice <laughs> time back when vice was cool <laughs> back when men could have fun <laughs> all right no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course i'm joking <laughs> welcome to extended clip it's episode 135 we're nearing the end and uh, i'm one of your hosts eddie averill I'm Malcolm bomb i got you know my bindle packed you know what i mean it's almost time to hit the but not yet but not yet and i'm jt white I haven't packed my bindle yet, but I'll I'll do that soon. I can't wait, dude. On Sunday, all three of us going to have our little bindle on a stick, <laughs> throw it over our shoulder. We're leaving Los Angeles <laughs> yeah. to go to Arizona or something. You know, I always thought the, the bindle in those images were like cartoonishly small. Like, yeah. what, what could you... You don't even fit a, a change of clothes in one of those things. But I guess that's that's unhoused living for yeah. you <laughs> i guess i guess i don't respect the plight of the journeyman yeah i mean it's it's rough man that's i think the the animators they're trying to show us the the struggle those people go through it's so. true um our double feature this week uh 1979's all that jazz directed by bob fossey and call ho naho the 2003 film by Nikhil Advani. JT, by by the looks of these two films, uh, not unlike the notorious B.I.G., you're ready to die. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am ready to die. Um, I don't know. There are two movies about death for like my final pick for the podcast, and they also have stuff I like, like sex and music and shaking your ass at the club. And uh, what what more could I want than just to hit the hallmark principal themes that and ideas that I promoted on this podcast? <laughs> and uh, I don't know, get a little sad thinking about. I, I think I said last time with this podcast ending, a part of me is dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Same. yeah. I, I mean, you're hitting all your basic themes that you've brought to the show. Uh, in Calho Naho, there's a running, you know. Uh, like kind of game I, of gay chicken and then of course in all that jazz it takes place in the world of musical theater yeah and uh yeah like uh, i i think there, there's a lot more connections beyond that <laughs> and but. uh you're gay no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you got it <laughs> had to do it one time before the pot <laughs> yeah that'll be our final episode is top 10 film babes of all time and each of us just taking turns calling calling, each other yeah i mean you could yeah just chart the podcast see how far we've regressed (laughs) (laughs) all that jazz is the 1979 film by bob fossey as we said and it's something of an autobiographical film um at the time he was editing his film Lenny he was also choreographing 
the stage show Chicago, and he ended up having to have open heart surgery. So I think those events in of themselves uh, kind of set up the autobiographical reading of this film about Joe Gideon, played by Roy Scheider, who is cutting a film about a comedian and staging his new show, L.A. slash N.Y., which is great because you don't see all that much like about the content of that show that he's putting on. So I would imagine that everything you know that isn't the musical numbers we see um, he was actually influenced by the stand-up comedy film he was making and kind of making uh, a play about the differences between L.A. and New York. <laughs> uh, 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 in L.A., they got the best pizza, and then uh, New, you know, <laughs> New York, you can't. It's so much traffic. It's the water. It's the water. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes the bagel so good. <laughs> and everyone loves them over there. <laughs> Uh, but from the opening of All That Jazz, we see that this Joe Gideon character has gotten himself into this routine, this spiral, if you will, of addiction where he cues up his Vivaldi tape, he puts in his eye drop, dunks his Alka-Seltzer tablets in the water, has a nice shower cigarette, pops some Dexedrine, and does a little coughing fit. And uh, fellas, do you rise and grind like this? <laughs> I was going to say, minus you know a little shower cigarette, that's pretty. It's pretty yeah. much what I'm doing. So, and like I know I have like that. decks. No, well, well, all right, yeah, the decks. Uh, all right, yeah, I need to reassess. But uh, it is, it is. It, there's some, there's some similarities there. And it's like I don't have that much shit on my plate. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, you know, maybe it's the Vivaldi, a, Vivaldi. You know what? Maybe only half of the stuff. I listen <laughs> to music. I listen to coughing in listen, the bathroom. Yeah, I listen yeah. to the music. Isn't there a shot where he's like jerking off in the shower in one of them? Or I think I maybe that? he's just very exasperated uh, at that yeah, point. True. Exasperation okay, yeah. and masturbation go hand in hand, of course. So you could have just linked <laughs> one to the next. Kind of an intellectual montage situation. <laughs> um, so w- we see this story of him, you know, uh, c- cutting this film, choreographing this show. And uh, it, it's a good cue into what else is going to happen when he's cutting the stand-up film and the monologue that the comedian is given uh, is about the stages of grieving and death into itself. And uh, the other thread that this film involves is his visit with an angel of death played by Jessica Lang, And it's, you know, uh, it'll just cut to this weird smoky stage show set where he's having these discussions about his life with this angel of death and uh yeah it's it's a really incredible like self-examination and um i i I don't even know it's like the the speed that he's addicting uh, that he's addicted to definitely informs the way that the film cuts back and forth between these worlds and uh even you know takes it one step deeper into you know wh- whatever cutaways within those worlds and it, it's just like a uh, the editing becomes like kaleidoscopic in that way and uh, I don't know it's a I wasn't expecting it to be a film so deeply rooted in its sense of montage for something about like choreography no yeah I, I really had no idea what like this movie was about other than it's like well heralded and like yeah I really do like how it really lets you, you know, be on this whirlwind with, you know, Roy Scheider, you know, mm-hmm. Bob Fosse, you know, and like, uh, like, yeah, it's definitely influenced by that. And like, it, it is like, I kind of like the angel of death stuff. Cause it's like, it is like, I, I like the rhythm of that, that it creates 
because you know at first like i don't i didn't really quite read you know it's like oh he's talking to he's talking to someone in heaven or something mm-hmm. like that you know it's just kind of like you know he lives this back and forth lifestyle and i think it's a great uh you know i think i've said before it's like i like movies that like self mythologize or whatever you know mm-hmm. what i mean kind of give yourself a you know of course this is a guy with a lot of people relying on him you know it doesn't even need to create it, but it's like the pressure he puts on himself kind of creates like this self mythology. And, you know, this is also an instance of maybe it going a little too far to the point where <laughs> it kills him. But like, I, I don't know. That's, that's always an interesting perspective to, to make a movie for me. It's kind of like self mythology and like, uh, boys, there are a lot of it here. It's just like, this is like the the height of like autobiographical like filmmaking for me and i mean just like it blends the like fantasy sequences with like the reality of like fossey's life so well and it's just like it's just insane to me to make this movie about like how much of this insane like asshole perfectionist he is and recognize that like this is going to kill me and I'm going to die from it. And then just to turn the like, just like examine himself so closely. I mean, obviously he, he gives himself credit, like in terms of being like, I'm a fucking great artist. And I think like the movie certainly proves that, but it's, uh, I don't know this time around it. Like I, I really was thinking of Cave a whole lot just mm-hmm. cause there's that oh, yeah. like, he's just putting it all out there like to the fact that it's so heavily like mirrors his own life like i mean to have like it's one thing if like a director's making like a movie where they're like editing a film but it's so like his life before this event happened to him it's just insane yeah i mean the the depths that he goes to as well like the relationship neurosis he has with uh audrey his girlfriend uh or sorry that's his ex-wife uh his his girlfriend's character is katie and yeah the relationship neurosis he has with her despite the flagrant amount of cheating that he does is like so fucked you know like he has that meltdown scene where you know she is sick of him and like calls up a guy uh, in his apartment to like uh, have a date. And <laughs> what does he say? Oh, God damn it. How dare you use my phone, my telephone, to call somebody who's not gay? Oh, I see. You can go out with any girl, any girl in town. That's right. I go out with any girl in town. <laughs> Costs extra. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but just like that with his well knowing how much of an unfaithful piece of shit he is in relationships is just like it cuts so deep and then of course you have his ex-wife character the mother of his child who he continues to collaborate with and you know has a very kind of temperamental relationship with her too and is kind of you know she's a dancer and an artist in her own right but he's also just kind of dragging her along like you're not really sure what their relationship means at that point and uh, the daughter is kind of the key to all of that where it's like the one positive relationship he has with anyone despite the fact that he's still blowing her off you know but Mm -hmm. like that's the only moment of like tenderness we get is like when he's working out the choreography with the show with his daughter which is also dark to think about because it's like the only time he gets to spend with his daughter he's just using her as a prop to work out some choreography yeah i mean this is a complete detour but i'm gonna go there like it reminded me of i heard 
in the new Will Smith autobiography, After Earth was an attempt to basically to save his family. You know what I mean? Like that, like, I guess they were going, him and Jada, you know, were going through it. And like, he's like, I'm going to make After Earth with Jaden. And like, this is going to save my family. And uh, it probably made it worse because everyone hated that movie, despite (laughs) our positive reviews. Um, And Jaden got made fun of. And that's when he started kind of becoming a joke to people. But uh, it's such a shame that the people in 2013, when that came out, couldn't just like fast forward to, you know, seven years later when we would do an episode on it (laughs) and give it kind of a faint praise. True, not even that positive. (laughs) Yeah, like among the lower tier of his work. still. Yeah, but like I feel like the momentum of, you know, the movie and his life or whatever is is kind of uh, like stuff like that where it's like uh you know i sleep you know i sleep around with a bunch of women but it's like don't do it on me you know is <laughs> is like there's no time for reflection for him and I, you know it seems like this is all kind of set up intentionally you know yeah. what i mean it's like you know keep going and you know kind of uh you know perfect your job and you know it is i think what's great about this is that uh um when he shows you he's great you believe it. You know what yeah, I mean? Cause yeah. it is like, uh, I mean that auto erotic or what did they call it? Or like, uh, the airplane, the yeah. sexy airplane, like, isn't it called something like that? Auto erotic, but yeah, the air, sexy airplane, uh, number is stunning. And, yeah. and, uh, I don't know. I think with this type of movie, that's important. You, you really like if uh, the whole movie is about how great you are, like the, you got to display your greatness. And that, those are some of the best parts of the movie. Absolutely. I mean, so the the scene you're describing, you know, he's showing the the backers of this production one of the numbers that they're working on. And it's just like, oh, yeah, that was really good. And it is really good. But he's like, well, wait, it's not over yet. The lights go down and the, and the light comes up over there. Welcome. Welcome aboard Erotica. Flying not only coast to coast, but anywhere your desires and fantasies wish to take you. Let us all get to know one another. Remember, we can take you anywhere. Anywhere. And then it just like just becomes this really expressionistic lighting thing that is all diegetic too. They just like turn the lights off in that room and start using flashlights to light everything. And it just becomes this like sex show basically with full <laughs> frontal nudity and everything. And uh, very artful though. It's like it, it incredibly impressive. And of course the way he shoots and cuts it together is equally impressive to the choreography. But uh, yeah, he's just like losing the attention of his backers as well because when you're the goat you know the uh the mainstream public uh people aren't going to be as happy with the prodigious work that you're going to put out so of course the people funding this play are like a little uneasy about it and at one point when he's in the hospital or thinking of replacing him with a uh, <laughs> uh who, what's his name fucking john lithgow as another yeah. uh musical theater director <laughs> I mean, I love what it's getting at there with, like, art and commerce. I mean, I don't think it's, like, anything 
all that deep, but it's just very fun the way he explores it. Like, I think one little gag some of the backers have is like they talk about potentially doing the musical number. They could sell it to the airlines. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, I guess we're not going to be able to sell it now. (laughs) Um, And then just like the fact that there are these like just ominous scenes of them in just like sort of like corporate boardrooms, like while uh Scheider's like on his deathbed where they're talking about like we might make money with this never opening and just oh like God, scheming yeah. like yeah. how they could just get fucking uh, loaded if this motherfucker croaks yeah that's crazy the insurance scam that they're basically running on the production where it's like yeah they've spent most of the budget but they would get over the total budget back to them if he dies during production but if he recovers uh, but isn't able to return to the production, then they would be fucked. And that's why they have to bring in John Lithgow as a potential replacement. And it's just such a dark portrait of like the people who fund his art. No, yeah, and probably your favorite. And fav- also, this movie had trouble with funding, too. Columbia yeah. like gave up halfway through the production, and Fox had to come in and fund the rest of it. Yeah, they're probably like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Watching the dailies from that scene. Yeah. Like, really? This is what you think of us? Like, yeah, pull the plug on you, bitch. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, no, but, you know, you, that must have been your favorite use of Wallace Shawn ever in a movie. Yeah, huh? Wallace Shawn there was very evil and uh, appropriately so. <laughs> Uh, I I like the repeated use of the montage we talked about in the beginning, his daily routine, because then it starts adding in new images to it as it goes. And it's like a full, you know, half hour before he goes to the hospital, probably uh, we see spliced in pictures uh, or images of him on his deathbed and stuff like that. And it's just like, you know what's coming. And it's just so inevitable, even if you don't know. Like, I knew what this movie was about. I knew it was about his death and stuff like that. But even if you don't, it's like 30 minutes in, you know, this is just a a not a slow march a sprint toward death <laughs> you know I, I i think i remember what i was going to say now it's you know the the use of montage and like just the way especially in the first sequence right it's like the creative ways where you could put the camera and like people kind of dancing around the camera and stuff like that it's it is just like you know it's sell it's not selling me on musical theater although it's great it's like oh wow movies really improve <laughs> musical theater like, yeah this yeah. really gives this some like pop you know what i mean and like the the you know just the different angles and stuff that you know he's using there just really just kind of electrify the scene yeah and i mean i think it like obviously the editing in this is is spectacular and i think he kind of pronounces that or like it's calling attention to his own swag Mm -hmm. again where it's like you see him uh cutting the like the his ver the fictional version of the Lenny Bruce movie and like how fucking long it takes him and they're like damn he like he was right about it he like fucking got it and then like you you see the actual you see the movie you are watching now and like I don't know you, you get an understanding of how much intensity and like craft goes into that we know a modern day Bob Fosse is at Netflix HQ editing the Joe Rogan special together. <laughs> they're, they're like, God damn it, Bob, you've done it again. <laughs> uh, so as his health takes a turn for the worse, he ends up having these hospitalized hallucinations and the film goes uh, deeper into the pure musical theater vein where each of the three women in his life, his girlfriend, ex-wife, and daughter, kind of lead these musical numbers where you have the Joe Gideon 
character in a hospital bed on a soundstage <laughs> watching it and then also appearing as the director of the scene filming it and uh it's just it's a great little you know not even little it's a pretty <laughs> substantial chunk of the movie where it's just like oh you you wanted a musical but instead got a frantic new hollywood autobiography here's the musical part you know here's like three or four songs back to back and they're all pretty great yeah mm. and also like i kind of like with like you know the little angel of death interviews or whether mother mary however you want to read it um uh it is it is like he kind of lets you catch up to it and i think that's yeah. what that's like any movie with like a fast pace like that's a good tool i would think you know because it you know you really do get like uh because like you know at first i'm like you know hey what's going on here he's on his <laughs> deathbed but it's being directed or and i'm like oh is this like a <laughs> is this what the play is now or whatever <laughs> you know but it, it like oh, yeah man, just like Fellini <laughs> yeah yeah instead instead of eight and a half he's got nine you know um but uh <laughs> okay hell yeah all right yeah. no but I I do like what you mean when, when you say that it catches up with those scenes because yeah it's like the movie exists on two planes for the first hour and 15 hour mm-hmm. 20 or so uh the the plane of this like purgatory kind of thing and the more linear even though it's filled with crazy montage uh more linear story of him you know editing and producing a play and then they kind of meet in the middle as it were even though it's the end of his life and so you know him going Going crazy in the hospital, waking up, wandering around, going back into the dream world, uh, getting uh, cut loose by a nurse played by CCH Pounder, better known uh, to many uh, listeners of the pod as Claudette from The Shield. Uh, very shocked to see her in a new Hollywood movie, but hey, she she's an old timer. True, yeah, it, you know, it's a pleasant, you know, saying, you know, I know you're not a Wallace Shawn fan, but it's just interesting to see like kind of bigger roles on the perimeter. Yeah. Here. Um, but yeah, the the end is just incredible because after those crazy like meta textual kind of uh, numbers, you know, on a soundstage where he's directing his own hospital hallucinations, we get him appearing on uh, this like TV show that he kept turning off in the hospital <laughs> and performing with this host who he kept making fun of and uh, singing Bye Bye Life. And it's just so full of life it's just so exuberant and he's just zipping around the stage the whole time and it's you know such a great send-off for showmanship you know uh like part of his daily routine is of course him saying it's showtime you know and despite the drudgery that he's putting himself through and so it's only fitting for the end of his life despite having all these moody musical numbers leading up to it the end just being this crazy you know exuberant thing and yeah, I think this is like an incredible movie that the the marriage of montage and performance uh, is something that I, I really haven't seen. Like so many movies that are montage heavy uh, don't have this level of performance in them. And I think it's that combination yeah. that really just makes this a one of a kind movie. And I'm, I'm going four and a half bullets on this. I'm going to go four bullets. I really enjoyed it a lot. And... You know, I guess sometimes I hate to be this guy, but the hubris did get to me a little bit, you know what I mean? But like not to any point where it actually affects the movie for me, but it it, it is just like because at the same time I admire it, you know what I mean? But it, it like when you revolve it all around like, you know, this one man's visions, you know, I don't know, sometimes, sometimes the 
self-worship could get a little bit annoying but it's like i have to sit back and eat my you know eat my words because it is like he's got the the chops to pull it off and like i think the i like the ending a lot too just the you know bye bye life and then you know cut to the dead body and also like you know the like the I remember he's in the hospital, right? And like, there's like a scene where like the host is being like, and this guy's been the best friend to black people ever or whatever <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's like, that's obviously like his like fantasy, right? Or something yeah. like that. And it's just funny to like, you know, just have a level of auto critique that's not even really relevant to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but he just, you know, just had to throw it in there, throw that jab at himself. So, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, he, he earns everything in this movie. So uh, Bob Fosse, you know, it's sad that you died after, the, you know. It's um, really messed up. It's really messed up that you died. So JT, what do you think? Um, yeah, I love this. I'm going uh, five bullets. I mean, just the style of, of it alone is so crazy. Mm. And there's so many uh, beautiful images. But just I love that mix of like self-aggrandizement and self-loathing. It's just like you see in him pushing like even himself. And I think it really comes out in those fantasy sequences where he's like directing himself dying and like demanding more and more like to ask for that level of perfection from yourself and to live this routine. Like you have to fucking hate yourself, um, <laughs> but you also have to love yourself. Yeah, exactly. A it's, it's a, it's a give and take. It's a thin line between love and hate. Someone uh, once told me, <laughs> And it's also just crazy that this motherfucker like made this and is like smoking 120 cigarettes a day. And he's still like he made another movie after this. Like, I mean, Star 80 like isn't, I think, among his like more well reviewed. But like, I'm going to check it out at some point. Mm -hmm. And just like that, uh, that old mule kept kicking for a little bit longer. Isn't Eric Roberts in Star 80? I got to check that out. For Eric Roberts' heads only, <laughs> I could be we we could be wrong on that. No, he's sure. in it. He's in it. Okay, nice. So it is for Eric Roberts' heads only. <laughs> never doubt me, Eddie. Damn, it's a shame <laughs> we never got to do our Star Eighty stalked by my doctor double feature. Oh, oh my dude! I wanted fuck. to I wanted to get him to an interview on here, but okay, whatever. He's too big time. He True. big time does. He fucking works. I mean, I didn't even send him anything. I but could just hang out did. with him off the podcast. I think we should try and do that. True, yeah. yeah. Let's just start trying to hang out with celebs and stuff like that. I bet we could raise $10,000. We could make a movie with him. <laughs> the entire budget is on Eric Roberts. It's like shot with an iPhone. No lighting, no sound. I, I, I think he'd do it. <laughs> i think that's how david dakota makes movies or something like that all right but yeah. yeah uh we'll be right back on extended club to talk more about david dakota movies just kidding we're not that podcast
And we're back on Extended Clip. It's Barack Obama's favorite segment, yeah. Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, if you weren't aware, you know, Barack Obama releases his yearly favorite, uh, you know, his lists of his yearly favorite movies, albums, books, podcasts. And this year, uh, I want to say thank you to the staff of former President Barry uh, for throwing us a bone, throwing us number one. And I heard that, you know, he actually listens. Some of the stuff people, people see these lists, they're like, oh, he didn't actually watch the card counter. He didn't actually watch Drive My Car. It's just his staffers putting together these lists. I heard from one of these staffers that Obama listens to every single episode. And I just want to say, thanks, Obama. <laughs> thanks, yeah, look, thanks look, Obama. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's very nice to the guy and everything. But where's this bump a year ago? Yeah. This, like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. The Obama bump. It's kind of like the inverse of what have you done for me lately? What What did you do for me when we were still trying with this podcast? <laughs> you know, it is the Obama list was pretty good this year. You have, you, I think you have to admit that. Like they've kind of boiled it down to where it's like, yeah, we'll just get, we'll put the movies that like just publications would put on their top. Mm -hmm. Like it's. Like he, and you know what? I bet he watched some of those movies. Let's be like, what? What the fuck is he doing? He's chilling hard as fuck. Yeah, he's so, got three hours for drive my car. Yeah, you know, people act like it's this. You know, oh, I'm so weird and quirky. No one watches art house movies. No, the former president does. Okay, so you're not you're not that. <laughs> so special. next time you want to be so anti-government, anti-American, <laughs> maybe don't watch a movie. Yeah, why don't you respect the office? <laughs> So anyway, it's Malcolm in the Middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, have you watched anything recently that you want to talk about? Well, I've only watched one movie, so I'm forced to talk about it. And that's West Side Story by old Steven Spielberg. And I, I, I don't want to bring you into this, Eddie, because I, I saw that you had a, um, not a negative, a lukewarm reaction or something sure. like that. Um, and in my defense, I haven't seen the original. So I'm kind of I'm kind of a boat without a paddle here. It's like the original mm -hmm. could blow Spielberg's out of the water. You know what I mean? And it does. And it does, according to Eddie. And I think a lot of people would agree that the re the you know the remake you know usually doesn't eclipse the original. So, but I personally I I thought it was pretty good. Like I I, I enjoyed it. I think I don't know. I liked the use of like kind of like lens flare stuff like that. And like I just feel like on a very like basic visual level i enjoyed what spielberg's doing here and to the point where it's like i feel like you know this is the hot like i don't really mind any of the performances too much i algert's definitely the weakest weakest link and there's a couple moments where he definitely like drops the ball i would say like the only reason that scene doesn't work is because of him but it's like overall i don't know i got swept up in in the movie magic and like i, I don't know if, kind of uh spielberg you know exploring or not exploring near but like i just think of like the bookend shots and stuff like some of the musical sequences i was having fun with it like when it ends and they're all on like the rubble of like lincoln uh what is it lincoln square lincoln heights something some, like that. some fucking new york elitist <laughs> bullshit true yeah exactly and you know spielberg you know he belongs belongs to la because he makes movies right you know so it was nice to see a West Coast perspective of New York. <laughs> <laughs> no, I liked the movie. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, I didn't think it was bad or anything. It's mm -hmm. just like there was some stuff holding it back from me, like really, really enjoying it. But yeah. there's no denying Spielberg and Kaminsky are like at the top of their game in terms of their recent efforts. Like mm -hmm. it looks incredible. Yeah. 
Uh, JT, what about you? Oh, fuck. I haven't watched much at all, really. I mean, we watched The Matrix Reloaded together, mm-hmm. but I feel like I've uh, talked about that. You know, fuck it. I'm going to double dip. We, we, I talked about it on a middle segment probably a while ago, but it just, it just keeps hitting for me. I mean, some of those, like... Actually, I mean, the set pieces, everyone loves them, of mm-hmm. course. We got the Dreadlocks twins. <laughs> the people cannot stop talking about the Dreadlocks twins. You could make this movie nowadays. <laughs> they wouldn't let you have the Dreadlock twins. Sorry. Um, I'm hoping they'll, they'll be in the fourth, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think what a lot of people usually like don't like about the movies or I mean which has since been like reclaimed like many times over is the more like uh rambling kind of like philosophical stuff but for me there's like a very clear through line there in what they're doing and especially like the level of like hope and sincerity that exists in all of the feelings uh, in throughout the Matrix trilogy that like is akin to like Speed Racer for me. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a level of earnestness mixed with like visual experimentation and just cool effects and insane fights that just like, I don't know, make the series as a whole just so one of a kind. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like the the rave scene always hits for me. But this time around, it's just so like full of life and just people mm-hmm. like hopping around, like excited. Like it's a movie so full of like, I mean, despite being like all computery and digital and whatnot, all that shit, it uh, loves humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked that movie too. I watched a movie right before we recorded our last episode. We're kind of bunching them up together. We're not taking our usual week between sessions. So uh, I'm going to talk about the newest film by Ryusuke Hamaguchi, Drive My Car. Uh, Another one of our old friends. You know, I know you're listening out there, and I know it's on your top 10, Barack. Uh, So, (laughs) you know, listen, listen up close i had true uh they should, for a real power movie should have put slash wheel of fortune to fantasy yeah, to let him know real, oh yeah that's the real power move is yeah. putting both in the same slot yeah, yeah which yeah. is come on come on you they're could, not the same movie you could put two of his movies in your top 10 without sharing the same slot that's I'm probably gonna do that that's definitely like some like magazine publication stuff it's like oh we can't have, you know can't give two movies by the same director yeah. or something. You know. uh, but Drive My Car is definitely one of the best films of the year and probably my favorite of the few films I've seen by Hamaguchi. It is deceptively simple in its setup, and I think it just keeps mining its like uh, emotional games that it plays for everything that it has in them. You know, within an hour, so you I wouldn't say all the cards are on the table. It probably takes longer than an hour for the driver character's uh, backstory to unfold. But the l- let's say the back hour of this, it just keeps kind of hitting emotional beats you know it's going to hit, but it just keeps digging deeper and deeper and deeper into them. And Hamaguchi has such patience with his editing. You know, this isn't some giant sprawling story. It's a really intimate story that just happens to be played out for three hours rather than an hour and a half. Like well, there, a lot of other art house movies would make it. And I just feel like the sense of um, the sense of motion 
in, in the driving scenes, of course, are incredible. There's a lot of that in some of his other movies. Like, Asako 1 and 2 has some great uh, emotional releases through driving. But, Malcolm, I know in your Letterboxd review, you linked the time machine monologue yeah. from A Perfect World. and. I think that's a great encapsulation of the use of the car in this movie as something that just like, not just, you know, gets your past out of you, but gets everything about you and your emotional range out of you. And uh, I, I just think that this is such a slyly, like, uh, kind of dis deceptively deep film. I mean, it kind of has to be with three hours and such a simple premise, but it just keeps teasing out more and more about the characters and how we see them. Not just that, but what makes you think about yourself, kind of, of course. And, uh, of course, Hamaguchi on a formal level is just so controlled. Like, there are the, the camera movements and the certain cuts just feel like such great punctuation marks at the end of great sentences you know um and, and it does have a kind of literary quality to it in, in that not to just use that metaphor uh just to say punctuation marks <laughs> and, and the fact that it's a murakami adaptation i do feel like it has that almost novelistic quality of just the more time you're invested in the world uh more things just kind of uh, pop into the viewer's head that may not have popped into the viewer's head if you weren't investing so much time into it. And I, I just think it's such a beautiful movie and uh, such a like cathartic movie in a way that you don't expect it to be. And I think that the stuff with the play that the main character is directing, the multilingual version of Uncle Vanya, mm -hmm. is just... a. I don't want to say minefield. Uh, what's the opposite of a minefield? It's a field that's full of things that aren't going to explode. Uh, the, a field? Just, yeah, it's a field. Uh, just like every step you take in that field, you're going to find something new and enriching and interesting. And uh, I, I don't know. It's such an interesting work in that regard. I kind of want to go back and just like watch those scenes to pick up on every detail I possibly can because the the use of language is so interesting in this film mm -hmm. and uh yeah i mean look i'm not original at all by saying it's one of the best films of the year but it is yeah and like i think like a movie understands like driving really well mm -hmm. and like like that it could be like a meditative process and where like i don't know you could have like a really nice conversation with someone or you could just kind of drive zone out and let things yeah. pass you by and it feels like almost nothing is happening while you're still doing something. All right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I like mm -hmm. how he compliments her driving by saying that when she accelerates or decelerates, he doesn't feel it at all. It's just one constant motion. Yeah. Uh, and I've been in the back of a truck a lot lately, the last <laughs> month. Uh -uh. And speaking of the literary comparison, trying to read a lot, you know, you get a lot of time in the back of the truck to just read and, I got to say, so some of these voyages have been quite bumpy, quite start and stop. And I, I wish I had this lady driving uh, driving the five ton on this job. Uh, might might be a few more hundred pages into Moby Dick than I am if, if she was. Hey, she could drive my car. <laughs> okay. Oh, hell yeah. We'll be right back on Extended <laughs> Clip. I'm crazy about you, pretty woman. Sone ka rang hai, Jo 
इसमें क्या राज है क्या कहूँ पल में खुश है पल में खफा बदले वो रंग हर घड़ी पर जो भी देखूं रूप उसका लगती है प्यारी बड़ी उसे जितना देखूं उतना सोचूं क्या उसे मैं कह Oh, do you, you, want, you do, I can I can say we're back. Yeah, I mean, you took a breath in like you were going to start this segment. Let's uh, go. Okay, and now we're back on extended clip. Wow, I don't think I've ever led that in. That felt that felt weird. Kalho Naho is the 2003 film by Nikhil Advani that we're talking about today. JT, the you've seen this film before. Uh, this podcast. What's this all about? It's one of the most beautiful SRK vehicles, and he is almost Christ-like in this uh, movie. And he stars as Amon, who uh, winds up getting mixed up into some into some family's life. And at first, you might think he's a little bit annoying and even a little bit kooky, uh, but he winds up bringing the whole family together, and. Uh, Overall, I think the movie for me is just like it's like a love story for sure. And I mean, SRK is in like boatfuls of those, mm-hmm. but it's such an unselfish and like interesting type of love that yeah. he's expressing here. And then also that coupled with like this is like early 2000s, like Indian uh diaspora like filmmaking like bollywood trying to like pitch out to like indians like throughout the world mm-hmm. and i think this is like I, this sounds like a criticism from what we've said about things before but it seems like the liberal globalist utopian dream I, and it's yeah. like it's fun because of that it, it like it's painting it in a good way um and i, I think it's just so much of the like hope of the connectivity of the 2000s mm-hmm. like emerges in this film. I mean, yeah, to speak on like that particular aspect, you know, uh, which is like not even necessarily the first thing I think about when it comes to this movie, but like, it is like, I feel like it works so well because it's not like a cynical, it does nothing about it feels cynical or anything like that. This is a movie truly fired up on like American diversity. Yeah, specifically. Exactly. And like, and like, I, I don't know, like it is, to see like you know you the like there's a great you know musical sequence where you, you know we get a bunch of couples you know one of them's gay you know some of you know are different races and stuff like that and like i don't know like this sounds on paper kind of maybe you know not not as good as we're selling it or something like that but it i think i don't know i guess the it just feels there's I mean, a purity to it yeah there's like earnest. earnest and sincere and mm-hmm. like that like the heart and like character of this movie overall is just so passionate and full of love and the way like those sequences are edited together and just like mm-hmm. are composed. Like there are shots where it's just like SRK, like fucking dancing in front of a waving American oh, flag. So sick. Americana, the last true piece of Americana. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, freaking talk about West side story remakes. Are yeah. you, are you kidding me? Uh, no, I don't know. It's just New York. Uh, no, but to speak on that globalization project, yeah, it's like, so this is a Bollywood film set in New York, a lot of which was shot in Toronto for budgetary constraints. 
and it's like yeah i don't, I don't know uh, i mean i think they did uh, like i was looking into the there's a lot of new york location shooting yeah, yeah but they had to finish out in toronto yeah yeah um and yeah i i just think it's a really interesting film on that level uh also as a post 9-11 movie it's obviously very um hopeful of you know bringing together new communities and stuff like that and communities that have been around for decades of course in new york but uh yeah the the non-resident indian population is kind of the milieu uh the non-indian resident population of new york city that is is the milieu in which this movie takes place uh our protagonist played by preeti uh, zinta is nina and she goes to uh, like night school to get her MBA. She's friends with this dude, Rohit, played by Saf uh, Ali Khan, and her family has a struggling restaurant. So there is a <laughs> there's a weird conflict with the family restaurant where it's like they uh, it, rather than just like getting the restaurant to do better business, it's like it, they have to go up against the Chinese restaurant across the street. Welcome <laughs> to America. Yeah, it's kind of a <laughs> Chinese versus Indian thing, which is kind of weird. And also like the fact that it, it's just wow. like a general restaurant and then uh, SRK to help them is just like, you just got to serve Indian food. It's just, it's the plot from the cafe episode of Seinfeld yeah. uh, where he makes Babu make his restaurant uh, the only Pakistani restaurant on the block. And then, of course, uh, in classic Seinfeld fashion, that restaurant fails. Uh, but this one, business is booming, baby. True. I mean, we get not only Indian food, but the, you know, India itself. It's like, well, you know, the hope in the country and yeah. stuff like that. But I feel like what makes this movie so great to me is like you do have, you know, your classic musical structure and stuff like that. But like the weird position that like this romance takes place is yeah. like is used to like an advantage in every single way. Like I love so all the scenes where, cause like one of uh, Amon's traits is that he likes to eavesdrop on people mm-hmm. or whatever. And so there's a lot of scenes of like two characters sharing like a, you know, what would they would want to be a private conversation and they're in the middle is, you know, Shah Rukh Khan overlooking them. And I yeah. love this style of blocking where you kind of have like, you know, this what would be a two shot of, you know, a conversation and like SRK is just in the background, just like <laughs> soaking it all in. And then it's sometimes it- very slyly, like a cartoon just kind of rising up from behind their backs <laughs> or something like yeah. that. And like, you know, he's like, a, he's definitely a manic pixie dream boy in this. Yes. And where it's not only that he's saying things, you know, randomly, he's also rude you know what i mean he's also like but also very charming in a way and also you know also you know pretty much devoting his life to this family you know specifically to win the heart of uh you know nina or whatever um you know only to realize that you know uh and like that's that's a great you know perspective too like he's like you know rohit and her should probably be together and like so then he kind of spends the rest of his life doing that teaching Rohit, you know, I'll teach you how to be the man. But like <laughs> it, even that only takes like what 30 minutes in the movie. Cause this, this movie like has so many uh, places that it, it goes, you know, within its long runtime, you know, including like, I don't know, the stuff of like the grandma not really accepting like the adopted daughter mm-hmm. within uh, Nina's family or even like small stuff like, uh, like the fact that Rohit's like, you know, Gujarati and like, you know, a little bit more high class than everyone else. And like, he, there's even that like embarrassing sequence where his parents kind of, you know, flex that, that status or mm-hmm. whatever on everyone. And, uh, 
I, I don't know. There's there's so much to enjoy with this movie. And also, you know, on a very basic level, some of my favorite musical sequences of all time, really, like in terms of like song and choreogra- choreography, like very, very strong stuff here. Yeah, the the fact that Rohit's family makes more money is like, it makes this a, very, a much more complicated thing because obviously if you watch even a few Bollywood movies or Indian movies in general, you're going to get a sense of, you know, cast being... Uh, something that is on the minds of people, obviously. And then, you know, the American class disparity, of course, of it being a film that takes place in America kind of muddles that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think it just makes for a more complicated, interesting thing going on, like beyond the surface of the, you know, good time musical turns a very deeply sad melodrama. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that's part of the reason I love this movie so much is that it's like, it's like not it I don't want to say it's like a straightforward rom-com because I like it because it's not and like in like a, in a more straightforward movie like SRK would get the girl at the end and wouldn't like fucking die but there's that weird like there's that quality of it that's like so strange where he's like being incredibly selfless mm-hmm. in his love for her and just letting her be like you should be with someone who's probably not going to die like right away. <laughs> um, but then also there's that like, I don't know with what we're talking about. I think relates to like the, the global perspective of it is there's just so much like cultural commingling that happens in this that like paints like a very broad picture of the time. And just like, I don't know, you can see it pop up like, generationally like among like different like races and whatnot it's a i don't know it's it doesn't it's deceptive how much is going on in this movie and i feel like the pretty woman i think it's the first musical sequence in this is maybe the most indicative of that and the shots where you know we have srk dancing in front of the american flag or like him on the top of a convertible with like you know american flags in the rear view with like that low angle shot i can't get that shot out of my mind there's like a part of that where it's like is there rapping in the yeah. song it's like yeah. it feels rap rock and it's yeah. just like what the hell is yeah, this dude, the 2000 early 2000s rap rock bollywood remix of pretty woman <laughs> is just like you can't think of a more cinematic soundtrack yeah and like it really introduces like the electric nature of like Shah Rukh Khan as he's got like everyone dancing around him. You know what I mean? Everyone, you know, the basketball kids are, you know, messing with them now. And like <laughs> the yeah. kids who play basketball on that block are always wearing these like puffy earmuffs too, which <laughs> yes. is just so fucking weird. Great but, Iverson jersey. Yeah. Very funny. And the Iverson jersey is of course great. Yeah. Great. Like great choice of a player. Yeah. But yeah, never mind. Um, but um, yeah. And like that, like it just, and like him, like insulting the grandma and her friends singing and stuff like that. Like, I, and I think that's, I mean, a lot of this movie is very funny to me. Like the jokes yeah. really hit and like kind of like the manic quality of Shah Rukh Khan's character being, you know, very nice, but also just, you know, calling, you know, you know, like dorky or stuff like that. Yeah. yeah the whole have, time he's negging her, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, it, you know, that's, I mean, the first hour and 15 minutes of the movie is the greatest movie made about how women need to smile. <laughs> <laughs> As he, you know, reportedly tells me, but that's his way of, you know, smile. It means like, you know, you should try to be happier. You know yeah, what I exactly. mean? So, um, you know, don't read too much into that, but, uh, 
and if you're walking around New York City, uh, don't tell women to smile. <laughs> Get to know them first, then tell them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe save their relationship with their best friend turned lover, you know. <laughs> Um, so after that pretty woman montage, uh, which is kind of what introduces Shah Rukh Khan's character to the block, uh, he then goes over to dinner at their house and you get like a classic rom-com mix em up setup of like really what feels like a very long sequence, but it is funny the whole time. Uh, a very farcical thing of the two houses across the street and the wrong guy going to each one, you know, uh, their neighbor, uh, you know, ordered up a date on some sort of service. Oh, yeah. For Sweetu. Yeah. Sweetu, uh, who's, you know, named that because she eats lots of sweets and yeah, she- <laughs> remarked upon quite a few times that she can't lose weight. Uh, poor Sweetu. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, so she's mixed up. uh you know, with Rohit, who's supposed to be going over to Nina's place for dinner just as a friend. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. And uh, so, yeah, the guy who's supposed to be sweet to his date is like this crazy, like, video pirate uh, who is basically like, us. Yeah, he's, he's basically us. He's a cool guy who dresses really swagged out, pirates movies, and lights his cigarettes with his gun. <laughs> no, yeah, that, like, that, that, um, I mean, this movie just has a real good, just like, uh, bounce to it in general yeah. just like a real nice pacing that makes a three hours go by nothing and it's like it's really on display in that scene and we keep cutting back to you know um, Rohit and Sweetu and her older sister's apartment mm-hmm. he's like he's about to have sex he's like get off me yeah. what are you doing <laughs> you know what I mean it's just, because Sweetu's you know sexy older sister is just such a tramp that he can't sure, I was gonna say man you know she's you know she gets there's she gets turned down a couple times yeah cause Rohit one. at first like he's all about pussy like he's True. just trying to get laid but uh, you know, I but guess not if they want it too much. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, the movie kind of from there, like, uh, uh, you know, it just kind of has some fun with where it's at. You know what I mean? It's like SRK is like, you never have fun. You never cut loose. It's like, why don't we go to the fucking club? You know? Oh my god! And uh, it's yeah, time to disco is like one of my favorite musical numbers of all time. That's so sick. <laughs> Because they're just turning up at the club, and you see just Nina getting trashed, and like uh, they're all just having so much fun, and it's just like it's again a pretty long sequence, but it's just pure joy because it's like you have the whole scene of them at the club getting drunk and stuff, and then you have the fairly long "It's Time to Disco" musical number where you have all this great group choreography and you know comedy thrown in with it, and. It's just fucking awesome. I, and there's like this technique, you know, maybe not not so dissimilar to all that jazz, but where it's very, it's very, you might not even notice it. It's kind of slight, but like, um, it like it'll do like kind of like cuts on like this, you know, kind of like basically the same shot, almost like repeating mm-hmm. shots and stuff like that. And yeah, it just gets in, inventive with its like montage making. And I like how that unfolds where like, there's just like a group of women dancing around SRK, like hands all over them and stuff like that. And like, you know, she, she gets like, uh, she noticed that, you know, that kind of irks her a little bit. And like, yeah, like it just has a, you know, fun time with that dynamic. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's, 
that that's might be the best. Although there's there's another one that gives it a run for mm-hmm. its money. Like there's there's like three, and like I think all the sequences are great, but three of sequences that like I just actively watch and watch before even like yeah. JT brought it to the pod because I fucking you know I love this movie. Um, Pretty Women, uh, this one and Mahi Ve, like the pre- oh Mahi oh, Ve, yeah, 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 killer, yeah, that one's awesome. Um, so after they end up at the club, uh, another running gag of the movie is born as Shah Rukh Khan's character, Aman wakes up in Rohit's apartment in bed with him. And I guess Rohit's mom or grandma, you it's know, like the maid, I think. Oh, okay. I think it's a maid. Yeah. Discovers him. And she's like, you know, uh, what, what the fuck is this kid doing now? Oh, no. <laughs> like tro- drops the tray of like uh, fresh fruit that she was bringing in. Yeah. Arms. Like, <laughs> oh no. And like, I love how, cause it is just funny. It's like. <laughs> you know that that they yeah SRK is just like snuggled up right next to you know they they were a little bit gay. Yeah. I will go out and well, say, that's yeah. the thing. It's like yeah. from that moment on, he notices that that's like a game he can play with yeah. his new buddy Rohit, and so he just <laughs> every chance he gets tries to make it look gay with him. <laughs> I love I, this. Is fast forwarding ahead, and we can get back to where we're going. But like, I love when. <laughs> <laughs> when like it's um rohi and uh nana are like are gonna have married and like they there's like a wedding planner who's like very obviously gay yeah. and then like the mahi Bay sequence there's like a moment where everyone's like dancing around trading partners and like Rohit and Amon, you know, kind of end up back in each other's arms, and the maid's like pissed off, and the gay guy's like, "Let's go!" <laughs> <laughs> so. A victory for the homosexual community. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so basically, uh, to to speed through the plot of it of what we haven't said uh, at you know another classic rom com mix em up. Uh, we see a woman that Shah Rukh Khan like hangs out with a couple times, and uh, you know he talks about how much time he has left with her, and we're not sure what that means at first, and then uh, you know. Th- it's said that it's his wife and he's like trying to get her back. And it's like, that doesn't really make sense. And yeah. then it's revealed that it's actually his doctor and he is dying of, it doesn't specify, but I would guess it's cancer. Yeah. Uh, like the way it's treated throughout yeah. the film. Um, and so he realizes that what he has to do is set up his two new buddies together for an everlasting love. Because even though uh, Nina might love him, you know, the the real bro thing to do is convince her that she actually loves Rohit. And he loves Nina too. Like, yeah. it's like, yeah. I, it's painful. I, it's painful and just like such an interesting, like, selfless. I mean, he, he just wants her to be happy. Yeah. Uh, but it's also another classic like rom-com deception thing, you know, yeah. of just him in the earpiece with Rohit telling him what to say, which is so oh. funny that she just never questions that all of a sudden Rohit is wearing a big ass like early 2000s Bluetooth. You could get away with a lot of uh, mic and ear p- yeah. pickup artist actionery back in the <laughs> mid 2000s due to the trend of wearing large bluetooths on on your ear <laughs> well i mean now just ear pods you could just hey true. who knows true but i you know we live in a more progressive society so those techniques might not help they might be out. frowned upon yeah, yeah exactly you know, so but they still we work. don't jt i know we joke around but i don't i don't want to encourage pickup artistry hey on look this i'm just saying if you want to <laughs> hey, do it's some called an art of, for a reason if you want to do some type of like cyrano de bergerac <laughs> thing just call me up baby i'll be in your air anytime all i'm saying is closed mouths don't get fed but um <laughs> 
<laughs> but I love I love the gag while that's going on. You know, the him in the earpiece telling him what to do because he's like at a mall or whatever, and he's like telling him like, "Oh, go sit next to, I know a hot girl in class. That's not Nana." And like, you know, tell her it's your birthday. And then, meanwhile, there's like a sales lady kind of like, yeah, having basically the same interactions playing in like the split screen call call shot or whatever. And uh, you know, you know, say, say it's your birthday and lean in your cheek for a kiss. And then, <laughs> and then he's like, and then you know, it happens to Amon too while he's telling him. Then he's like, now get closer or whatever. And like, he starts like almost groping. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> the it sales lady. off like, oh, they're gonna play this scene like he's gonna effortlessly flirt with this, you know, saleswoman. But it just ends up with him being a total creep to her. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, they both get pushed away. It's yeah. very. Just some classic comedy stuff there. <laughs> I mean, there's like, obviously there's like an elegant, like formal style to the musical sequences, but you brought up uh, the split screen there. Like at various points throughout the movie, I think it's doing like pretty fun and inventive stuff with that. Um, also, another great sequence. Yeah, the uh, the title track uh, that Shah Rukh Khan gets like to himself pretty much where most of it is just like, I don't know, compared to the rest of it, it feels more like other Bollywood numbers that I've seen, you know, where it's like him alone in these grand landscapes. And here it's harder to pull off because it's like in these big New York City architecture kind of things. And all these shots of him just enveloped by the architecture singing about how, you know, you got to live life to the fullest because today might be your last day. Mm -hmm. And... um kind of coming to terms with what he has to do and you know that sequence gets intercut with the early flirting of Nina and Rohit and it's very touching very touching stuff uh what happens after that well then Nina and Rohit uh yeah. they have their extravagant proposal and then yeah. the marriage itself and uh during that big dance sequence of course Shah Rukh Khan falls ill and he collapses in the middle of the big wedding dance Mm -hmm. And that is pretty much the end of the movie as he has to say goodbye mm -hmm. to, uh, and, and I love the order of, you know, uh, like who, how he has to say goodbye, basically. Like he says goodbye to the family first. And it's like the order of importance of the characters and the relationships kind of as each person leaves the hospital room. And uh, it's not Nina who gets the last one. It's Rohit. And it's the, the bromance oh. that closes out the movie in, in full waterworks fashion. And it's beautiful. It's like so emotional and so just like melodramatically effective, you know. Well, yeah, I love I love that kind of transition because it like it's like, yeah, you have the musical sequence that, you know, he basically, you know, gets ill over and like you see throughout that, like, you know, he's trying to enjoy himself and does to a certain extent. But then the pain of, you know, letting Nana go, you know, fucking kills, kills him literally, you know, yeah. and uh, I uh, I really that line when he's alone with uh, Rohit, it's like she's yours in this life but in the next life she's mine like that so good it's it's the per it's a perfect line and it's just it's it's why this movie just hits like a different chord because you know it's like aman is not looking for glory in this life you know what i mean or he realizes that there's you know he he won't be really there's not much reason to because he won't be yeah. here for that long so he kind of uh, goes grander and becomes like a Christ-like figure, and I love I love that ending where the like you know it's 
you know, the very ending, like the epilogue almost where it's like, you know, everyone it's 20 years later and, you know, Rohit and are still together and it's, and they're, they're both like, damn, that guy was the fucking best. Yeah. <laughs> she said he was the foundation of all of my relationships. Yeah. You know, it's like he was the goat. I mean, yeah. Shah Rukh Khan, he deserves it. Sorry to do this again, but it's another Will Smith, uh, Jada Pinkett situation <laughs> where it's like this. This would be a good movie to remake. Tupac, Will Smith, Jada Pinkett. Jesus. But sorry. <laughs> and the mysterious illness that Tupac has come down with <laughs> is the beef between West and East Coast rappers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think this is a beautiful film. I'm giving it four bullets. It's just three hours fly by, and uh, the the musical sequences are staged. Of course, they're they're choreographed by Farrah Khan, who's yeah. you know done some of our favorite films on this podcast, uh, like Happy New Year, Om Shanti Om, uh, Main Hoon Na. And uh, yeah, it, it's just the choreography is incredible. The melodrama is super effective. Shah Rukh Khan, I mean. Who else could pull off this role? Like Tom yeah. Cruise? No, no, oh, no, he no. could. Nineties Tom Cruise, maybe. Not, I do not even like. I was. I, this is kind of what I wanted. To Actually, bring. yeah. No, nobody is good enough. Nobody is like literally Chaplin. good hard enough. <laughs> I literally <laughs> Chaplin <laughs> might be the only one. Like I, I like this. Like I think this movie in particular because it is like well directed and stuff like that. But it is like the so much of it is sold through like Shah Rukh Khan's performance and like. Like that's that one of the shots of him at the wedding, just straight up, just bawling straight into camera for yeah. like 30 seconds. And it's, and it's so good. That's like affecting, you know, you want to cry with him, you know? And, uh, like, I think I just want to put out, I think he's like God tier, like one of the best actors, like of all time. Like, I think this movie really cements like his insane amount of charisma that he's holding. So, uh, it's him and Chaplin, you know, in a mm. league of their own. Hell five stars, yes. five bullets. Yeah, I'm going five bullets as well. And just like uh, a testament to Shah Rukh Khan's just crazy charisma and ability that like this, like, because it's, I don't know. I feel like it's like, this is something that would be on paper, like a very enjoyable Bollywood movie, but like he, it pulled it pulls it off unlike no other yeah i mean it's because it, i love i love the last 20 minutes literally it's just crying too yeah. it's decompressing mm-hmm. and it uh you know that takes some acting skills so shout out to him. um extended clip podcast at gmail.com is where you can email us i mean really you can't like by the time this comes out we're recording the last episode like a day later so i mean you can get if, it if in. you're if you're listening to this the day it drops you got 24 hours baby uh, but we have a couple emails this week. Okay. Our first one comes from Jake. It says, acquired taste. Howdy, mm. extended clip. Buddy love here with my final question. Are there any actors you didn't like growing up but learned to love? When I was younger, I couldn't stand John Wayne or Clint Eastwood or Kevin Costner. I thought they had too much baggage tied to an older generation that I couldn't relate to. With Costner, I think he reminded me of my dad. But as I got older, I started to really appreciate them all. And as I near my 30s, I'm happy to say they're some of my favorite American screen presences of all time. Anyway, thanks for the great podcast, Baba Booey. Oh, he got us. Uh, <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> you know, it's, with that, it's like, I feel like 
I mean, subconsciously, I I felt that at at one point, but that was at a point where like I never watched any of their movies ever. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. You didn't like them as celebrities. But yeah. You ended up liking them as actors. I guess uh, <laughs> the only example I could, and you know, maybe maybe I just need to think harder. But uh, I would say Matt Damon is one for me. Ooh. Yeah. Damon's r- risen in my Damon, stock. Damon, like last four or five years, I've really grown to like him a lot. I mean, Stillwater. Still water. One of the best performances of the year. No, he sells that movie, really. Like it wouldn't wouldn't work without him. Yeah. Uh I mean, this is a weird answer and kind of only specific to one movie, but like I remember being very um uh unhappy that Nick Cannon was the lead of Chirac. And uh (laughs) I think he does an all right job in that movie for I mean, for what that movie is. The Nick Cannon redemption tour <laughs> continues. <laughs> um, JT, what, what about you? I mean, I would say like Cosner and Damon for me, like both just, I like, I feel like it, my initial impression was like very flat performances, but I was missing something. I guess wasn't a- hip to it. I guess Affleck too. Yeah. And like, and that's kind yeah. of riding the social wave of how he's been perceived though as well. Like not really a. Yeah, but a lot of the movies feed yeah. into that. Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, it's, we're going to talk about one next week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's yeah, like something like uh like kind of like Argo and stuff like that and like kind of put it like a bad taste in my mouth and like even even like and I think yeah, like I think Gone Girl kind of like awoken like to me of some of his better qualities, but like it's not until later that I fully you know, realize, you know, I'm watching like whatever the, <laughs> I forgot what that movie's called. The, the basketball alcoholic movie. Yeah. And it is like, I, I realized it's like, I'm only watching this for him and you know, it's not a great movie, but it's like, it delivers the goods enough. So it's like, I definitely was not doing that four years ago. Mm. So, uh, our last email for the week comes from Laura Jacobus. It says final cue. Which of the three Stooges is each EC host? Love the show. Let me know if you're ever in NY. Let's see. You're Mo. You're our leader. I've never seen any Three Stooges stuff. Wow. I think you would <laughs> oh like the God. Three Stooges. No, I know. I th- yeah, I they're great. Yeah. I, this, I, you know, I'll get to it. <laughs> All right. Mm. You're Shemp then. Uh, <laughs> and JT can be curly. All right. That I, you're, you're, you're the skinny curly. I think I do think about um Kush got me feeling like the skinny curly. <laughs> I do I do think about like uh like kind of slapping someone in the face and then poking them in the eyes yeah. a lot three stooges style. So I should kind of give more context to that. What's know? that Wiz Khalifa song, The Slim Peter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a great pull, dude. Uh, <laughs> JT is slim curly. Uh, 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 That's uh, that reminds me of the the Tony Kushner, Tony Cushion orange juice. <laughs> pun i made in the group chat that got no no avail no negative or positive appraisal just kind of flew by like the wind but i i, I had to get it out there because uh i'm glad it's doing better here you know <laughs> next week um will be the end of extended clip uh we're gonna record two episodes on sunday and I, i'm probably gonna release them not exactly back to back but you don't have to wait a full week because one of them is gonna be a little going away party i think that'll be the actual last episode mm-hmm. but our next double feature our last double feature my last double feature for the podcast is about women going missing we're gonna be talking about michelangelo antignoni's la ventura and David Fincher's Gone Girl. I'm, you know, I'm very excited to rewatch Love and Sheriff because I feel like that's like one of the first 
movies I checked out and like trying to be like, oh, I'm, you know, a cultured cinephile. And like, I just looked at my phone the whole time. because I was like 15. <laughs> um, so now it's time to really, you know, I've watched like pretty much every other major Antonioni movie besides that one and loved it. So it's time to give my proper respects and gone girl. I'm always happy to watch gone girl. Gone girl's a masterpiece. I can't wait to watch it again. I just watched it a couple months ago. I'll watch it again and I'll watch it again a couple months from now. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Kabhi, kabhi hai dup zindagi, har pal yaha, ji bhar jiyo, jo hai samaa.